Hello, a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it's not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who thinks coming out means having a pint down the pub. I'm ahead of the game. Hello and welcome to Smut Drop, a weekly roundup of the more eccentric side to sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be finding out about unspoken riz, chatting to filmmaker Alex Liu about sex education and hearing what you said when we asked our fabulous listeners for their biggest red flags. If you like what you hear then please rate, review, subscribe, do it wherever you get your podcasts and I hope you're ready because I have got my Riz on and I'm not afraid to use it. I love doing this podcast. Every week I learn something new about the wonderful world of sex and relationships and this is a doozy. Adine O'Connell has a feature on metro.co.uk about unspoken Riz. Have you heard of this? No, you don't have to wipe it off your couch afterwards. This is a silent flirting technique on TikTok. And I can only describe it as, um, okay, so someone walks past you. You give them a bit of a a come hither look, uh, followed by a little slight wave, a gesture for the object of your desire to follow you to an unknown destination. According to the Urban Dictionary, Riz refers to someone's ability to attract a love interest. And an unspoken Riz is the kind where you have someone swooning for you without ever saying a word. I mean, <laughs> in my day, if we wanted someone to talk to us without talking to them, we had to watch the craft and make up spells at sleepovers. Fortunately, Auntie Miranda is here to help you with your unspoken Riz technique. I have found a few top tips of my own. Thought I'd share them with you. Have you got a pen and paper? <clears throat> Okay, so it starts with the look. Make eye contact. And from there, don't let go. Keep your eyes to their eyes, like the snake in Jungle Book. Raise your hand. Give them a wave over. Number three, don't repeat yourself. They saw you the first time round. You don't need to do it again. Four, if you get the vibe they're uncomfortable, bounce. This is not your fight, cowboy. Five, if they're playing hard to get, show how easy you can get them. Okay, all right, look, this is where I have to admit, these are not actually my tips. I got them from a youth. If they are playing hard to get, that's then they're playing hard to get, just leave it. Don't go in for the kiss. Wait for them to put the face out. I have no idea what that means, but what I will say is that faint heart never won fair lady. And the last one, don't be desperate. And um, yeah, I think that is definitely me out of the running. How about you, dear listeners? Have you got an unspoken riz? Tag me and the Metro and the Smut Drop on all your videos so I can get some much-needed tips, because obviously I need them. Let's hope this week's guest has a few. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, now you're probably listening to this very podcast because you're on your own search for sex education, and I commend you for it. But how many of you are brave enough to film your search and make a documentary? This week's guest did just that. His journey to put right what his curriculum made wrong has sent him to neuroscience labs, psychologists, sex researchers, and even church pews, and a very awkward chat with his parents. It's filmmaker and health reporter. To Alex Liu. Hello, Alex. Oh, well, that was a great introduction. I'm <laughs> one of the best I've ever heard, I think, of anyone. I love that. Thank you. 
whereabouts are you, Alex? Set the scene for us. So I re- I used to live in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco for 12 years. But uh, in the pandemic, uh, we actually did all post-production remote from people all around the world. Some 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 in the UK, actually, too. Figuring that I, that, that could be possible, we moved, to a, we, we moved to a tiny little farm town in the Finger Lake district. So Finger Lake region. So that, that's where I'm, I'm calling from. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Finger Lake. I mean, you're already getting me. That, that, that's, that's <laughs> <dodgy already. laughs> oh, my God. So tell us a bit more about your sex education whilst you were growing up, because you're an Asian-American. So what was it like with your parents, with your school? Was it? So I think probably for similar reasons in the UK, most of the education we get is really just like pregnancy prevention education, disease prevention education, because there is that public health component and that they figured that at least most people can agree Mm. on that. Um, But you don't talk about the things. Why do you have sex? How do you make sex feel good? What does good relationships look like? What does good communication look like? How do you set boundaries? How do you set Mm. consent? Um, And even though I grew up in the Bay Area, I mean, things are way different in the Bay Area now than it was when I was going through school. But it was really, really difficult and taboo to talk about these things. And, And I'm lucky Though my parents are are immigrants and then and, and they have a pretty traditional background in that sense. They they weren't anti-gay, they 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 weren't anti-sex, but I think the overarching kind of culture component of that was more silence, was more this is something we don't talk about because no no generations before have ever talked about it. It's kind of this generational shame that's passed on. You know, especially when you know my father came from war. So, you know, the last thing on his mind is like, how do I make sure my child develops into a sexually healthy adult? It's like, how do we live the next day to feed ourselves? You know, so I think the cultural difference was big there. What did your parents think about being interviewed for the documentary about sex and sexuality? Like, I can't even watch a nature documentary with mine. As soon as the lions start mating, it's like, no, turn over, go and get a cup of tea. We definitely had a few mimosas beforehand. You know, we, we definitely need some sort of social <laughs> lubricant for sure. Uh, but but it was, I think, for a long time, um, they they didn't quite, especially my father, didn't quite understand the depths of the depression and anxiety I, I experienced. You know, it's, you know, especially when you come from, you know, I mean, from him, his upbringing, incredibly poor upbringing. Um, it to him was like, "What are you complaining about? We have a roof over our head. We have food on the table every day. Like, what? Why is this so important to you?" Uh, but to his own credit, when I asked, he he delivered. He sat down on the couch, not knowing what what I was going to ask, not knowing how he would be edited, not knowing any of those things. Uh, and and he was completely open. He he did not hold back at all. And, and for that, I, I'm just so grateful. It, it was terrifying. It, you know, I think there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's highly edited. So you don't see as much of my fumbling as maybe there was. But yeah, I, I think and I think it was a seven year journey, right? The first interview was kind of more surface level, kind of going into backgrounds. And the last interview is asking, like, what is your sex life like? It sounds like quite um and like an elongated coming out process in a way. Do you think that seven years of making a documentary helped to answer their questions as much as yours? Oh, completely. I, I think, you know, I think for me coming out of the closet, I was 17. Um, I thought, oh, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It was terrifying in so many ways. So confusing. But boy, I, I'm so glad that's done with and, and on to sexual freedom, you know. Um, you know, just like I can now, 20 years later, talk about being gay and it's 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 fine. I, don't, I have no real qualms about it. Um, I needed to do that with all the other aspects of my sex sexuality that I had never really confronted and was still repressing. And the movie, in a weird way, 
I don't think if we didn't have this veneer of like me making it my work or making a documentary or making it about my job, I would have never had these conversations with my parents. You know, it, it was like a way, it was kind of like that filter we needed to be able to have the conversation that it's like, oh, this is for Alex's work. You know, it's, it's, it's helping him in his career. I use this podcast for the same thing. Last week, we, we had um, an expert on about flirting and she was like, just say you're doing it as research for the podcast. And exactly. Yeah, was that why you put yourself in the center? Because you've come from a reporting background so to put someone else in the centre, like you wouldn't see, say, like Louis Theroux doing that or John Ronson. So for you, was it like, oh, oh, I volunteer as tribute. I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, I will not deny ego and narcissism played a big role for sure. I, I mean, I'm like naked in this poster. I, I, I clearly I have have something that I want to show the world. Uh, but, 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 but I think at the beginning of the process, it definitely was more. I wanted to be more of that objective observer. I wanted to, to be. Uh, just like a fun, sexy, educational video, right? It wasn't necessarily my personal story. But what was happening as we as we started the editing, I had an, ama- an amazing creative team, mostly queer. And as I was showing them cuts that I was making, the, the, the feedback was like, this is interesting, but like I get kind of bored within the first three or four minutes. Um, I, I don't have that emotional core to keep me engaged in a story which is like the, the main feedback I got with my reporters, which, which was good feedback in the end. And so I would, I would, I'm like, you don't understand what you're talking about. You know, like when I think about myself as a child, if I had heard this information, my life would have changed. And, and I was railing against why I thought that this would be good. And, and frankly, what they were say, telling me is like, what right now, this like f- five minute tirade you went on, that is more engaging than the interview that I just watched. And so it became a process of like, okay, maybe I do have something I want to say about my own story and how people might be able to connect to that. Um, and, and actually when that happened, the interviews became so much more, more people wanted to sit with me because, you know, if, if the interview becomes like, I want to sit to talk to you about what you think the entire world needs to know about sex, that's a little more intimidating. But if I were to say, I want to talk to you about my deepest, darkest fears and fantasies that I've never told the world, and I want you to help me process that, that's a lot more of an engaging conversation. And those those conversations became so much more um, fruitful in terms of like, oh, we're actually onto something because uh, the, the process of seeing someone say something that a lot of people would never in their right mind say to another stranger uh, became a fun way to kind of figure out how to, how to craft a real narrative. So knowing now, after you've spoken to so many people, you've spoken to sex researchers, psychologists, and I'm going to get on to all, I'm, I especially want to hear about the priest, but that's just, that's just for my own kids. <laughs> what are your biggest takeaways? What would be your big tips for a little baby queer that's thinking about coming out to their parents? Maybe they've got the same kind of background, same culture, you know, mm-hmm. immigrant yeah. parents. What would be your tips for someone who's thinking about coming out? I would say um, two things. I'm asked this question a lot. First, it's all about baby steps. I I mean, literally take the smallest step you can think of. So let's say you do want a relationship where you can talk openly about your queer, kinky relationships, but speaking about it in personal terms is way too scary, which it is. Do it in a third person, right? I mean, I mean, in a selfish way, I'm like, watch the documentary and talk about, you know, wasn't that documentary funny when this came up? What do you think about that? You know, and, and, or if it's just something in the news, right? I heard about this thing. What do you think about that? You know, just, just testing the waters and, and creating that safe space. And if what you want from someone 
is to be heard and listened to non-judgmentally and accepted. You have to be willing to do the same with someone you disagree with vehemently even. You know, if, if a loved one is like, oh, that disgusts me, and you immediately start attacking, like would be my, my impulse maybe 10 years ago, it's not going to go anywhere, right? But if you sit and be like, oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that? What makes you think feel that way? And really f- make that person feel like their perspective is valued and respected and heard. You'd be amazed how much that melts them and opens them up and, and makes them more willing to hear your perspective when it comes to it. And the second thing is just, you know, sometimes you do have to be a little brave and, and maybe by willing to do take these little baby steps, you might lose some friends, but then you might gain some others. You know, you might actually find the tribe that does love and accept you for who you are, but you'll never find that tribe unless you're willing to take those little baby courageous steps. I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult work and you can lose some people you really love in, in, in some ways, but the only way you'll find that community that will support you in, the, in who you are is, is by coming out in, in every way you can. What were the things that helped you with your first little baby steps? I mean, like when I came out of the closet, unlike many of my friends from similar backgrounds, it wasn't a like, why did you make this choice? How could you do this to us? You know, my parents immediately took themselves out of it. And, and their first, even though my dad was very open being like, I, I do feel disgusted by the idea. He was very open about how his initial reaction. His, his first impulse was to put me in therapy was to find other gay people in the community to show me that there was a life worth living that was possible. Mm. You know, so I was very lucky in that sense. And, and that's kind of a big part of the movie I wanted to show is that, you know, if you have good parents, you can get through so much. Uh, if you have parents who love you, and if, and if you set that stage really early in the child's development, you're, you'd be amazed how much you can get through. So, so I think it, it's such a privilege to, to be able to see a good therapist. Um, but if you can, that, that would be my first step because... It, it is a cliche, but I think it's true. Like you really can't create the bonds and relationships you want to until you fully accept and love yourself for who you are. And that takes a lot of work because the conditioning we have from birth from for many of us uh, goes right against that, that, that um, ideal. What about on the flip side? If you're a parent and you're, you think your child wants to come out to you, do you have anything that you've learned from your parents that you'd, you'd want to pass on to them? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll find other parents in the same situation. It's a very difficult thing to process with that person, right? You know, to the person who's coming out does not have the emotional bandwidth to deal with your with, with you projecting your fears and concerns on them because they're so confused and I, it's difficult for all parties. And you, you need to find that support group that can understand what you're going through and can be there for you. And that you can say your, your, your kind of deepest, darkest, sometimes shameful thoughts and feelings that are natural and normal that come up regardless the, the one of the be- most beautiful things that I've seen my family do, do is they're now like kind of the people in my town. If like a Chinese immigrant child, you know, comes out, they're the parents that are the first person who come over that house and talk them through the process. And, and to have that, to know that you're not alone in the process and in in going through it, you can really get through a lot. Oh, that's so inspirational. I think that's, you, you must be so proud of your parents. Like, oh my God. I mean, my mom has now walked in more gay pride parades <laughs> than I have. I'm ashamed to say, you know. <laughs> I love what you said uh, just um, a bit earlier about saying how 10 years ago you would have shouted and screamed at people who weren't listening to your, you know, your opinions and your life and didn't agree with you. What changed? It was totally in the making of the film because you don't realize how 
angry and antagonistic you are until you see yourself on camera you almost need that that there and the edit you do and then you watch it and you're like oh man like i mean i might have a fully 100% disagreement but temperamentally i'm very much the same as wow. the people i'm fighting against you know and it's not a good look you know it's like a how can i attract anyone to my cause if i'm being unattractive you know so so i think going into interviews with people that i disagree with um, and starting very at the very beginning, being like, I don't want this to be a fight. I actually want to hear what you have to say. I actually want to try to understand you. Uh, people are not used to that, especially when you're in the arena, political arena or, or cultural arena. So because you're entirely right, once you see yourself on film or like hear yourself or something. You can, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You be like, what was that? Yeah, why, am I that? why did I say that? Did I really? Yeah. How did that come from? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's also this is all very timely as well. Like you're releasing a sex education documentary when America particularly is up in arms about um, transgender rights and the abortion issues. And do you want this to go into schools? and be like look this is sex education and this is where we're going wrong is it a truth to power maneuver that you'd like to see i would i would love that and i, and I think my first target would be parents because if we were at all to have any chance of good comprehensive sex ed in, in schools i think the debate has to be reframed not around like we need to help kids i mean of course we do mm. but the way a parent will hear that is like, we need to teach our kids different values than what's in the household. It needs to be reframed as we need to help parents have the conversations that they haven't been trained to have in the household. And I think if we can frame sex education in those ways, we could go a long way. And, and I try to think of these parents and, and as, be as empathetic as possible, because, you know, when I think about the way they experience this, you know, they... If I thought I grew up in a sex negative culture, these parents, these people probably grew up in a much more sex negative culture with, with much more strict, rigid boundaries around gender and, and, and sex that, that were probably very damaging. And so it's, 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 if we have any chance of them understanding, it is, I do think it takes like almost Olympic level concentration and focus to be able to, to get there. But, uh, but I think if we're, if we're clear of the goal, um, and 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 lead with that love. I think my personal opinion is that that's the only hope. We have. Oh, Alex! Next time I talk to my mum about Brexit, I'm going to film myself and then rewatch it, <laughs> and then go back to Please it. Do. Yeah, yeah, you'll be amazed <laughs> at what you discover. Yeah. <laughs> Why have I turned into the Incredible Hulk? I don't get it. <laughs> so weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you sat down with a with a priest, a Jesuit priest. Yes. How, why, tell me everything. What happened there? Yeah, so so I, I grew up in the Catholic faith, though we left probably around when I was 12 years old for, for many reasons. But uh, the Catholic Church was instrumental, a huge component in how I felt about being, my being gay, about sexuality, about abstinence. You know, you know, they're they're first and foremost one preaching that that celibacy is 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 the closest to godliness, right? Literally. Um, and and so I, I think. I knew I had to talk to someone within the Catholic Church for this to be a full kind of exploration of my own sexual shame. And uh, as you can imagine, not many people in the Catholic Church wanted to talk to a gay atheist about uh, how the Catholic Church, church damaged him in his youth. <laughs> uh, so I'm lucky enough, though, that I live in San Francisco, uh, where, you know, I think a lot of the, the, the Catholic churches there especially during the HIV AIDS crisis, realized very quickly that 
the church wasn't necessarily living up to its values around and helping the needy. Mm. Um, and I, it shifted a lot of, I think, their their openness to welcoming gay people in, in certain churches in certain places in the Bay Area. And so through kind of a dogged kind of asking, do you know anyone who might be willing to talk to me? Is there anyone who might be able to? We, we were lucky to find Father Donald Godfrey, uh, an Irish immigrant who, who, who is openly gay. He speaks about how he, he is openly gay. I came in kind of ready to attack the church and, and he was ready for me. He, he completely heard me out, understood completely why I would feel the way I feel um, and, and set me up. I mean, that's probably the interview that I left kind of like whiplash. I was like, what just happened? Like, am I religious now? Like, do I believe, <laughs> do I believe in God? Like, like, like it really did. He, he framed sex and sexuality in a way that I had never been framed mm. before. Um, that, that it is ultimately, you know, you think of it as just genital play intercourse, but it's so much more, so much more about pleasurable human connections in so many ways that, that I've had more sexually charged, pleasurable conversations where we never touch with certain people uh, than people who have been literally penetrating me, you know, you know, it, 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 you know, it's that and, and thinking about sex in that way really did make me feel like, again, like, like I had been ignoring the spiritual component because I think as a big kind of like middle finger to the Catholic church, you know, I, I, I stuffed as many dicks in my mouth as possible, you know, kind of as an FU, you know, like, like I was out there, like, I'm gonna have as much gay sex and do all the stuff that, you know, I'll show you, but I was ignoring this moral, spiritual component he really did kind of help me see that that it's not about quantity per se it really is about quality and, and that's been uh just it was just an amazing conversation oh i think that's so it's it, it's so nice to know that there we religion gets shat on a lot because it can seem sort of quite constricting and puritanical but it's so nice to know that there are people like that who are within it and who are working for you know the lgbtq community and have got you know, great advice. Oh, if every priest was like Donald Godfrey, I believe the world would be so much more uh, at peace because I think they're there. He, the way he's able to meet people where they are really. And, and mm. again, listen non-judgmentally. you know, it would have changed my life. It would have saved so many other people's lives. He, he really is in my, in my mind doing God's work. And, and, and I wish he had, he had a stronger voice in the church. Oh, I might see if he's available for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, I, 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 he would love to talk to you, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like I wouldn't really want to talk to him. I'll get him, your dad, everyone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sex explanation. <laughs> have them instead. Yeah, much better. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, tell us about the MRI machine. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, I, I masturbate in an MRI machine for, for, for science. <laughs> For science. Oh, yeah. For science. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, on a technical level, it was like the worst kind of sex you can have because it's like, first of all, you're like locked, literally like locked into a cage where you can't move anything but your hand. Oh, it's like a time pressure where it's like, okay, Alex, you have 10 minutes and go, you know, <laughs> and you have to get yourself to orgasm. You can have no visual aids because it would screw up with the readings. Um, so, so it was very difficult. I was terrified, not only because I had to like, masturbate in front of scientists but also my film crew like it's something i'd never done before it was, it was kind of i mean they, they put some privacy up but but they kind of need to see things i think that was kind of an impetus i needed to make me really question and think like mm. this is not a shameful act right I, I, private yes i, I there's a, there is a distinction there I, I i am not someone who would do that again necessarily 
Um, but to really think through, like, yes, I feel like this is a private act that that people should respect, but I do have a shame around like this universal sexual act that I'm scared to admit that I masturbate. It, it's it's such a weird thing that we do, and and, and it's kind of like. It's kind of like pooping, right? Like we all poop, but we don't really talk about it. <laughs> this is a very similar. And I, and I think we do almost need like an everyone masturbates book so that people at least can, can be okay with being like, you know what, I'm going to spend 30 minutes every day just pleasuring myself because it's fun. It's good for you. Um, and it relieves stress. You know, I, I think building that into the, the, the narrative of health has been something that I, I, I'm kind of a fierce advocate about. <laughs> I I'm just trying to think whether I would do it in and out. I think I'd. I'm pretty much up for anything. I'd, I'd give it a go. Great. At least until I the security yeah. came in and chucked me out. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone should try it. I think once in their life, I, I think there's there's always a time for that. <laughs> what would be? What do you think would be the the next thing? Would you stay within sex education, or do you think you try? Is there a, another mountain that you want to climb? There is a lot of, um, I mean, there's so much we left on the cutting room floor. We went to a trans health center. Uh, it was amazing. But but you realize very quickly, queer, kink, trans issues were so asexuality. The vocabulary and understanding um, is still very embryonic. You know, it, you know, you, to get to that next mm. level of understanding of, 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 of more atypical sexual expression um, requires its own documentary in and of itself. So that was kind of a, a very brutal cuts we had to make. So that, that's one idea. Um, we talked to some amazing historians, mm. you know, I would love to do a, like a, you know, 15, 20 minute explainers about like, how did the pill change sex? How did HIV AIDS change sex? How did the internet change sex? Um, how did Viagra change sex? Mm. You know, there, there's a lot of these, these moments in recent sexual history that really have revolutionized uh, and, 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 and allowed us to explore sexuality in much bigger ways. Um, but kind of like what, you know, a lot of this conversation has been about I am interested in, in kind of a companion piece, sex and love, you know, like how do we actually love each other? Uh, that is something I am realizing very, very late in life that um, I, I feel like love is something I feel towards someone or I get from someone, but I don't actively work on to, to give people, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an active verb, not necessarily just a feeling, you know? So, so that's something that, I'm interested in exploring because I don't know if my definitions around love or my ideas around love, um, all, all different types of love um, are really rooted in a, in a strong, critical thought. I'll tell you, I love Alex, your dad. He sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he's the star of the show for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he really does sound like he's going to be the star of the show. If you could have, if you could, if you could take one thing that you've learned from making this and you could add it to the curriculum, to the sex education system, what would it be? <sighs> There's a lot I would do, but, but, you know, I think, I think when it comes to sex education, the overarching frame that we totally need to shift is starting from the perspective that sex is good, though it comes with risks. That sex education framing should be, how do we make sure that sex goes as well as possible for as many people as possible? The goal is not preventing the worst. The goal is maximizing the best. And, and I think people often, when I say this, they think that's frivolous. Like, oh, you think we should like, you know, get better orgasms or we should give better blowjobs. And, and no, I, I think we should think about sex so much, much more holistically. You know, the, the most important relationships you probably will have in your life are sexual ones. The, the most 
the, the way you communicate to the world about your body and your boundaries, that's sexual. You know, the, the way that you express every facet of who you are to the world and to your friends so that you actually feel like truly accepted, that's all sexual. So I, I think, you know, the, the things that make life the most juicy and tasty and, and transcendent and, and beautiful is, is sexual. And, and so I, I think framing sex in that way that, that it is something, it is one of the, if not the most important thing about being a human being and sex education is to help people not, not know all the answers because everyone is different. Everyone has an own individual, but how do you develop the emotional communication tools uh, to, to be able to, to get what you need uh, and not let uh, fear, shame, um, you know, rule that because that's often the default. Do you know, that is exactly, that is right up my straws. I'm always saying that we should be able to have sex without fear, shame or judgment yeah. in a safe, sane and consensual way. So Yeah, that's the yeah. goal. That yeah. I mean, doesn't that sound wonderful? Like, I, I, you know, people often ask me that and I'm like, you know, it doesn't it just feel amazing to think of just going out in the world and seeing sex as like a true playground, like like a true way to 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 play with the boundaries of humanity. Like it's to me, it's just such a I've never thought about sex in such spiritual terms. But doing this movie, I realized like it, it's so core. And I think that's why a lot of people leave religion is because one of the most spiritual aspects of being human sex is like totally taboo in, in a religious institution. Mm which makes zero sense to me. They should be trying to encourage the best sexuality, but, but, they, but they don't. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very eye-opening in, in terms of like um, uh, broadening and expanding my horizons of, of how fun sex really can be. I, too, love playing with the boundaries of humanity, but only <laughs> if they ask me nicely. Right, yes. Consent, first and foremost. If people, so you've got, um, some lovely people who are trying to figure out, you know, their sexuality, their sex education, and they're sitting their parents down with their own mimosas. Where can they find a sexplanation? Yeah, so if you go to sexplanation.com, uh, we'll have all the links there. It's going to be on all the major streaming platforms worldwide, actually. Uh, not not all of them worldwide, but they'll be on some platform worldwide. Um, so yeah, just go to sexplanation.com. We'll have all the links right there. Apple, Amazon, uh, all of them, yeah. One final thing. Sorry, this is just something that we were talking. So this is something that we were just talking about. Um, we do a little weird news section. And this week we're talking about, have you heard of Unspoken Riz? No. Okay. So an Unspoken Riz, it's all on TikTok. And it's, I think it's like, um, you have to give someone a, a come hither look and then a little wave. So Alex Liu, can you do an Unspoken Riz? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I know you had me. That's it. Yes, yeah. I, I do it better when I'm like shirtless <laughs> and there's like techno music going on. I think that's, that's the context <laughs> I need. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want me to? Do, I could do the techno. <laughs> just rip it off, just for the sake of our tawdry podcast. <laughs> uh, Alex Lou, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you if they want to pick up on your social media? Yeah, so my social media is AlexanderXLIU on across all places or at X Explanation, one word. Yeah, you can find me there. My thanks to Alex Lou there. What a lovely bloke. Honestly, he was so much fun and 
Sexplanation has won so many awards and it's been in a loads of festivals and it's had a really great reviews from people. So I really recommend it. And as Alex said, use it as a way to talk to your parents. Use it as a way to talk to your children. It's out to download on the 6th of June. Yes, it's that time again, my favourite part of the podcast. It's all your listener stories. A couple of weeks ago, we asked you to send in all your biggest red flags, and I've picked out some of my favourites. If you want to get involved in future episodes, then come and slide into my DMs at Instagram. It's Miri Kane, M-I-R-I-K-A-N-E, and I will have all the topics for our future episodes posted there. In the meantime, let's see what are your biggest red flags. So, Carla, she says scruffy shoes. I can't stand them. If a guy turns up to a date in skanky shoes, I'm like, did you get lost on your way to Sports Direct? (laughs) Yeah, I get you. If you're going to spend more on a massive mug than you are on a pair of trainers, then absolutely jog on. Uh, Mal, he says calling and texting too much, whereas Rachel says not calling or texting enough. That is a pair made in heaven. Um, And anonymous, ooh, excessive compliments. Yeah, I get that. I can understand that. I One of my biggest red flags is when a guy turns around to me and says, oh, you're so beautiful. I bet no one tells you that. And it's like, get off. <laughs> Of course I get told that because I am Um, mirroring all of your interests. Yeah, that is like, where does it stop? You don't have to be into exactly the same kind of things as me. And finally, Sharon, she says that one of her biggest red flags was when someone started to take a bit too much interest in her life. He wanted to know my interests, my job, my friends' names and even my pet names. Oh my God, it sounds like he was after your password. (laughs) And of course, we want to hear from you. Send any questions you've got or any weird sex stories to smutdrop at metro.co.uk. Or if you want to leave me a voicemail, slide into my DMs. It's Miri Kane, M-I-R-I-K-A-N-E, over on Instagram. I've been Miranda Kane. Smut Drop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. Please, please, please feed my need for validation and leave me a nice review. Please, I'll be your best friend. And in the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week. <laughs> <laughs>